Hi everyone! Welcome back to another episode of the Yale Vascular Review. We're your hosts, Ocean and Kiri. This episode we will be starting by continuing our discussion on thoracoabdominal aortic repair. In the previous episode, we focused on endovascular papers, and for this episode, we wanted to wrap up by looking at two papers pertaining to open interventions. But stay tuned, as this is a special episode dedicated to Women's History Month with a very special guest. That's right, Kiri. In the spirit of Women's History Month, we will be highlighting some important papers published over the last six months discussing gender disparities in vascular surgery and changes that need to be made to support, retain, and recruit female trainees and leaders. Without further ado, let's get into it. Our first paper today is from Johns Hopkins Hospital, with Dr. Sorber, Dr. Hicks, and Dr. Black among authors, and it's titled, Connective Tissue Disease Type Mediates Branch Patency of Grafts in Open Thoracoabdominal Aortic Reconstruction. All patients undergoing open branch thoracoabdominal aortic replacement at a single academic center from 2006 to 2020 were included and classified as connective tissue disease or non-connective tissue disease based on the presence of genotypic documentation. Overall, 172 patients were included. Connective tissue disease was present in 26%, including Marfan's, Louise Dietz, and others. Patients with connective tissue disease had more extent to thoracoabdominal aneurysms, more reconstructed branches, more frequently reconstructed visceral branches, and higher intraoperative blood loss compared with non-connective tissue disease patients. Kiri, you mentioned extent to thoracoabdominal aneurysm in this paper. Do you want to briefly review the classification of these? Sure. So this refers to the Crawford classification. Extent 1 is distal to the left subclavian to above the renals. Extent 2 is distal to the left subclavian to below the renals. Type 3 is from the mid-descending aorta to below the renals. Type 4 is the entire abdominal aorta. And type 5 is mid-descending aorta to above the renals. Five-year renal branch patency was decreased among all patients compared with visceral branches, 87% versus 96%, but there were no individual branch patency differences between patients with and without connective tissue diseases. Overall branch patency at one and five years was significantly higher in patients with Marfan's than in non-connective tissue disease patients, 98.9% versus 89.1% at five years. There were no significant patency differences between non-connective tissue disease patients and any other connective tissue disease subgroup. In conclusion, open thoracoabdominal reconstruction in patients with connective tissue disease is technically challenging and associated with increased transfusion and post-op thromboembolic events when compared to non-connective tissue disease patients. Technical outcomes of the procedure are excellent and are differentially associated with genotype, with patients with Marfan's experiencing significantly improved branch patency over both non-connective tissue disease patients and patients with other connective tissue diseases. Good. Thank you, Curie. The second paper to discuss on this topic today is titled, The Long-Term Fate of Renal and Visceral Vessel Reconstruction After Open Thoracoabdominal Aortic Aneurysm Repair. This was published in JVS December issue, and the authors include Dr. Mohibali, Dr. Cambria, Dr. Conrad, Dr. Klaus from MGH and University of Virginia. Institutional Open Thoracoabdominal Aortic Aneurysm Repair patient data was reviewed. Visceral and renal reconstructions were categorized as bypass, incorporation into proximal or distal beveled aortic anastomosis, inclusion button corral patch, or hybrid stent, along with endartrectomy or stent adjuncts. Axial imaging or angiography determined long-term patency. Vessel event was defined as new occlusion or reintervention after repair. Over 28 years, 604 repairs were identified. 
follow-up was available in about 72% of all reconstructions. There were 5 celiac, 1 SMA, 8 right renal, and 10 left renal events. No type of reconstruction or adjunct was significantly associated with an event. Overall, 5-year patency of all renal or visceral reconstructions was 94%. Estimated 5-year patency of celiac, SMA, left renal, and right renal were similar and were 99%, 100%, 97%, and 96% respectively. In conclusion, visceral and renal long-term patency after open thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysm repair is excellent regardless of reconstructive technique. No differences are appreciated even when target vessel disease is addressed at the same time of reconstruction. That concludes our open thoraco section. Moving on, Ocean, would you like to do the honors of introducing our guest speaker to kickstart the Women's History Month special? Yes, of course. I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Britt Tonneson. She's an Associate Professor of Vascular Surgery at Yale. She's our Associate Program Director and one of our faculty advisors for this podcast. Dr. Tonneson, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Happy to be here for this episode in which we discuss a topic that is very important to me. Dr. Tonneson, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Britt Tonneson. I'm a vascular surgeon here at Yale in New Haven, Connecticut, and I'm uh, delighted to join my colleagues, Kayuri and Ocean, today to discuss representation in vascular surgery. I am uh, originally from New Jersey, and I did my medical school training at the Mayo Clinic, and then I went to the Ochsner Clinic for my residency and fellowship. I also spent some time in private practice before landing here at Yale several years ago. It's been a wonderful journey. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much, Dr. Tonneson. Would you like to share a paper with us today regarding this topic? Yes, I would. The paper I'm going to share with everyone is called Representation of Women in Vascular Surgery, Science and Societies. And this is published by a number of my esteemed colleagues, Dr. Humphreys, senior author Dr. Reed, and this is published in the Journal of Vascular Surgery. In this article, the authors examined the representation for women specifically in our multiple vascular surgery societies, both our regional societies and our national. They divided the data into two periods, two decades, 1999 through 2009 and 2010 through 2019. In summary, they found that despite the fact that there is an increased number of vascular surgeons that are women, representation in positions such as committee chairs, society officers, as well as senior authors are underrepresented. And furthermore, the data seems to vary depending on the region and society. Specifically, they looked at, in the U.S., Society for Vascular Surgery, the American Venus Forum, the Vascular Endovascular Society, and others. They looked at the Northeast Society for Vascular Surgery, the Southern Association for Vascular Surgery, the Midwestern Vascular Society, and others. So there's an awful lot of good data in this article. I think the limitations of the article is that the presumed gender was based upon the author's knowledge and research, as well as the fact that they did not specifically look at other groups that are underrepresented by, for example, race. But I think the results are fairly compelling. Thanks so much. Is there anything else you would like to leave the listeners with? 
I think specifically with regards to women being involved with our vascular societies, getting onto the podium and having opportunities to participate in committees as members, chairs, and also in leadership of our societies, this is a very important and, and timely issue. And I think there is a discordance between the number of talented and hardworking female vascular surgeons and what we see when we look at these numbers. One interesting data point that I noticed in this article was that actually the Association for Program Directors and Vascular Surgery for Officers had nearly 50% women. That was really an anomaly. I wonder if uh, part of this may be that women in vascular surgery may be seen as a good fit for a teaching leadership position, but perhaps may not be seen as a chair of a committee or as a uh, president of a society and may be nudged into academic roles that are very important but may not offer the same opportunities for promotion. So I think that the key is that all of us should be mindful of this issue and really look and, and help each other with opportunities for mentorship and sponsorship. Our profession continues to evolve and grow, and I've certainly seen things over the 16 years that I've been a practicing vascular surgeon develop in a positive direction, but I think we do have a ways to go towards equal representation and inclusivity. Dr. Tonneson, that was great. Thank you so much. We're so lucky to learn from you every day. Continuing with that invigorating discussion, our next paper is titled An Analysis of Gender Disparities Among United States Medical Students, General Surgery Residents, Vascular Surgery Trainees, and the Vascular Surgery Workforce. Authors include Dr. Arya, Dr. Franco Mesa, and Dr. Urban from Stanford University and the Mayo Clinic. And this was published in the January JBS. This paper looked at the data available for training slots for women in general and vascular surgery and within the vascular surgery workforce. Overall, women comprise 36% of active physicians in the 2019 Association of American Medical Colleges data. The number of women in surgical fields is lower, representing 22% in general surgery, 9% in neurosurgery, 6% in orthopedic surgery, 17% in plastic surgery, 8% in thoracic surgery, and 15% in vascular surgery. Also notable is the lower academic ranks held by women in surgery. The proportion of women instructors in surgery in 2020 was 61%, assistant professors 30%, associate professors 23%, and full-time professors only 13.5%. They concluded that recruitment and retention of women and minorities into the vascular, academic, and private practices is essential to ensure best patient outcomes and quality of care for our patients. Ocean, I have been fortunate enough to go to some of the major vascular meetings this year as a med student. As amazing as my experience has been, I did notice that women at all levels are still underrepresented among presenters. Right, Kiri. And interestingly, this next paper looked exactly at that. This was published in January JVS. Authors include Dr. Otoya, Dr. Lavinia, and Dr. Amendola from Virginia Commonwealth University. The paper is titled, Gender Trends of Authors Presenting at a Regional Vascular Surgery Meeting. The published programs from Southern Association of Vascular Surgery, or SAVS, annual meeting from 2012 to 2019 were analyzed for membership, presenter gender, type, topic, discussant gender, moderator gender, postgraduate course presenter gender, and manuscript publication demographics. The American Board of Surgery was petitioned, and yearly vascular surgery diplomate gender from member states of the SAVS was examined for the same period. 
There were 257 total presentations, including podium and poster presentations. A total of 61% of presentations by females were podium presentations compared with 75% by males. Females were less likely to be published when compared with their male counterparts, 42% versus 59%. The percentage of female presenters statistically increased over the time period examined compared with the decrease in male presenters. They concluded that the female presenters at the SAVS annual meeting were less likely to be podium presenters, interface with other female discussants, and publish manuscripts when compared with their male counterparts. This gender gap highlights a unique opportunity to enhance and potentially increase mentorship opportunities for female trainees who are presenting and or attending this regional vascular surgery meeting. And Ocean, there was another paper in JVS January issue titled Analysis of Authorship Trends in Vascular Surgery Demonstrates a Sticky Surgical Floor for Women. The authors include Alexandra Buda from University of Rochester, Dr. Pendleton from MGH, Dinal Gabri from University of Wisconsin, Dr. Miranda from USC, Dr. Bowder from Medical College of Wisconsin, and Dr. Dua from MGH. PubMed was searched for articles published in the European Journal of Vascular Surgery, the Journal of Vascular Surgery, and Annals of Vascular Surgery from 2015 to 2019. The web-based application Genderize used predictive algorithms to classify names of first and last name authors as male or female. A total of about 6,000 articles were analyzed. Overall, 25% of articles had women as first authors and 10% had women last authors. From 2015 to 2019, there was a slight increase in the proportion of articles written by women first authors, but no increase in the proportion of articles written by women last authors. The proportion of articles written by women last authors was lower than the proportion of active women vascular surgeons in 2015, 8% of articles versus 11% of surgeons. In 2017, 9% of articles versus 13% of surgeons, and 2019, 11% of articles versus 15% of practicing surgeons. The average number of last author publications was higher for men, about 2.35, than for women, about 1.62. Notably, a woman last author was associated with 1.45 higher odds of having a woman first author. They conclude that over the past five years, there has been no significant increase in women last authors among top-tier journals in vascular surgery. Women remain underrepresented as last authors in terms of proportion of published articles. Women last authors are more likely to publish with women first authors, indicating the importance of women-led mentorship in achieving publication gender equity. And that concludes our episode. These are some great papers, and they discuss a very important topic of increasing female representation in the field of vascular surgery. I agree, Kiri. We have come a very long way, but there is still much more work to be done. You know, I greatly credit female mentorship with my decision to pursue vascular surgery. Dr. Tonneson has been one of those people, as well as Ocean, who is in fact my resident mentor through Yale Association of Women Surgeons chapter. I'm fortunate to have received such great guidance and hope we can continue to create more opportunities for women in surgery. Thank you, Kiri. I really appreciate that. From our podcast to our project collaborations to our random life conversations, I've loved every bit of it and I am glad to be your mentor throughout this year. And I have to say, this episode is very special for me because Dr. Tonneson is my mentor, and I feel very lucky to have her support and guidance throughout my residency. Thank you to those who took the time to fill out our survey. The five winners will be sent an email, so please keep a lookout in your inbox. 
Please feel free to leave feedback on our Twitter or Instagram posts and be sure to subscribe to Yale Vascular Review on Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Thank you everyone for tuning in this month. And until then, break through that glass ceiling. And keep making history. History.